I always know where my luggage is. When I travel, I never have to worry anymore about whether or not I'm going to lose it. Now, I, I've, I've made this change because I've lost plenty of pieces of luggage over the years. I'm talking to you, American Airlines. That is until I recently found this little hack that I pass along to you that maybe you've discovered. Apple has released these little AirTag things that allow you to track anything and everything so long as you put a little AirTag on it. So now when I travel and I have to check a bag, I take one of these little AirTags and I put it inside of my bag and therefore I always know where my baggage is. I always know where it is. Even if it's not in front of me, it's not in my possession, I can see it on a little map and follow it. I know when it's about to come down the little ramp and be delivered to me, and if they tell me it's lost, I can tell them it's, they're lying. I can see it on a map. Give me my luggage. Now, you might pride yourself on being a person who, when they fly, they travel really light. You never, ever pack a bag. You just take a little carry-on and put it in the overhead bin. But I'm here to tell you that even if you think that you're a person who always travels light, I'm here to tell you that you always have baggage. And no, I'm not talking about the kind you can put a little air tag in and track around the airport. I'm talking about something deeper. We all have hurts and we have hangups. We have wounds that we carry. We have impulses and instincts that are shaped by things that have happened to us in the past. We all have artifacts of our past that we carry with us into the present and affect how we live. Today, we're talking about that kind of baggage. The stuff from the past that we carry with us into the present and affects the way we see the world and the choices we make. And so even if you are an experienced traveler who's never lost a piece of luggage and doesn't even take any on a trip like a weirdo, you still have baggage. Now, one of the things I've noticed about really healthy people, healthy people that I admire, is this. It's not that they don't have baggage. You know what it is? It's that they know where their baggage is and what it is and how it tends to affect them. And that's what I want to talk about throughout this series that we're starting, appropriately titled, Baggage. Our goal in this series each and every week is really simple. It's, it's actually twofold. Number one, just to recognize the stuff that we carry with us. Just to normalize the truth that we all carry hurts, wounds, and issues from the past that are trying like crazy to affect today. And then number two, understand those things in light of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us and what he promises for us. And so today, we're going to talk about what is a soft spot for many. We're going to talk about the baggage we all bring to our families. The baggage we bring to the families we build and the families we make. Now, here's the first thing I want us to understand. That the baggage we bring to our families largely comes from our families. The baggage we bring to the families we make largely comes from the family we didn't choose, the family we inherited. That's not a knock on mom and dad or grandma or grandpa. We, we want to admit that there are lots of blessings, innumerable blessings that come from our families and that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and our aunts and uncles, they have done the best that they possibly could with the gifts and the talents and the resources they had. Thank you so much. And yet... There is baggage we bring into the families we build, the adult life that we make with our own two hands that comes from the family we inherited. 
You know, Jesus himself doesn't say a whole lot about family life, but what he does say, unsurprisingly, is really important. Take, for example, what Jesus says about marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. If you are married, these words were likely read at your wedding ceremony in some way, shape, or form. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together in marriage, let not man separate. Jesus is implying this. That when God brings two people together and he forms a new family, that immediately, out of the gate, there are forces trying to pull this new family apart. And what we need to recognize is that most of those forces trying to pull a family apart don't come from the outside. Most of them come from the inside. The call is coming from inside the house. Most of the forces trying to pull the relationship apart come from within the two sinful and broken people who formed the bond to begin with. One of the things I tell couples when we go through premarital counseling is this. Once the wedding is done, there is just one thing that you know for sure, that you have married a beautiful but profoundly broken, horribly sinful human being. And so has your spouse. And the greatest threats to the vitality and longevity of this relationship don't come from the outside no matter how weird your mother-in-law is. The greatest threats come from the inside, from the hurts and the wounds and the issues and the impulses and the instincts that you carry from your past into the present, which now stirs up the question, who is responsible for making your spouse such a mess? Here's the answer to that question. There's a lot of factors, but like I said, it's kind of the family that they came from. Again, no offense to mom and dad, but we are the product of our homes we grew up in. Now, how would you describe what it was like to live in the home that you grew up in? What words would you use? If you sat and reflected on what it was like to live in the house that you grew up in, what would you say? Some of you would use really positive words. You would say it was, it was an encouraging place. It was a fun place. It was, it was vibrant. It was full of life. It was always an adventure. It was supportive. It was loving. It was caring. Some would use other words to describe their upbringing. Some would say that maybe it was, maybe it was violent or maybe it was, it was unsettled. It felt unsafe. Or maybe there was a lot of anger. Maybe there was addiction. Maybe there was abuse. Whether you paint a picture of what it was like to grow up in your home that's really positive or really negative or somewhere in between, what I'd like for us to all agree on is that, number one, there are tons of blessings that come from the families that we're a part of. But number two, the families that we are a part of, at the very least, were profoundly imperfect. And we are molded and we are shaped by that imperfection and we carry that as the only blueprint we have, the only thing we know into the families that we build. We just do. And so what wise people do, what people who are pursuing health will do is they'll reflect on questions like this. How might the imperfections, let's put it that way, the imperfections of the home I grew up in be shaping the one that I'm building today? How might the imperfections of the past be manifesting themselves, showing themselves in my present in some way, shape, or form? How have they shaped or formed me? How have they shaped or formed me? Now, as you wrestle with that question, the next thing I want you to realize is this, that given the baggage that we have, that we bring into the families that we build, we respond to it 
typically in one of two ways. We either repeat it or we rebel against it. We either do the same things in our home that we build that were done to us and with us, or we purposely define the lives that we build in opposition to what we experienced. Right now, I'm doing a lot of reading and studying in the Old Testament. And so, for example, just, just a couple days ago, I was reading through the first couple chapters of First Chronicles, which if you've read the first two, three chapters of First Chronicles, it is all genealogy. It's just a long list, chapter after chapter, of this person begat, this person begat, this person begat, this person. It's a section of the Old Testament that most people skip over. But if you actually read it and and you study it a little bit, you can learn a lot, not just about the history of the family of faith, but you can learn a lot about human beings in particular. So the other day I was reading in Genesis, another one of these genealogies, and I came across this particular name. I have to read it because it's so hard to pronounce. The name is Hazar Marveth. Hazar Marveth. No one today is named Hazar Marveth. It's a mouthful. But if you know the Old Testament, you know that he's part of the lineage and line of Noah, who despite what else we know about Noah, see what I did there, with the whole ark thing, Noah had some dysfunction in his life. So Hazem Marveth, he was one of the 13 sons of Joktan. He was a son of Eber, who was the son of Shem, which puts him in the lineage of Noah. And Noah had his own dysfunction. But now, just looking at the name Hazem Marveth, I can tell you that Hazem Marveth had some dysfunction in his family too. Here's how I know this. When you take that name, Hazem Marveth, and you break it down to its two Hebrew roots, You can look at the literal meaning of that name and you can say, his home was not a fun one to grow up in. Mom was not happy that she had had 13 sons. His name literally means dwelling of death. So think about this. They give birth to Hazar Marveth. Mom and dad look at each other and they say, let's name him, this house is killing us. Let's name him that. Life was not good in their home. And what we know about Noah is that life was not so good for them, despite that whole ark incident, which was great. Life was not good for them either. So there's some dysfunction that gets repeated. When you look at genealogies, when you look at your own family tree, you can see that largely, if you know the stories of dysfunction, that largely one or two things happened. Patterns get repeated over and over throughout generations, or every once in a while, there's like this shoot, this branch that grows in the opposite direction where someone said, I'm doing something different. Often we repeat things without knowing that we're repeating them. You grew up with a mom who had anger issues and then lo and behold, fast forward 30 years and you, you got angrier issues. Or dad was, was always had tunnel vision on work and always seemed annoyed by the presence of the kids and you find yourself struggling with the same thing. Or mom and dad made terrible decisions with their finances, and you find yourself making terrible decisions with your finances. Or mom and dad were always sideways with your aunts and uncles, and now now you find yourself always at odds with your aunts and uncles and your cousins. You, you, You see, we easily repeat these things, and often you don't realize it until the marriage is struggling, or the kids don't call, or some other relationship has gone south, and you realize, you know what, this feels very familiar to me. Or you do the opposite. You start to build your adult life, 
And you know for a fact, what I had growing up is not what I want to have today. And so your whole life becomes about building the opposite of what you experienced. You rebel against that experience. So you might make a vow as a child that says, I'm tired of living in a chaotic place where there's never any money and we live hand to mouth. And so so I'm going to make sure that I never, ever, ever have to go without, even if it means working like crazy and forsaking relationships. Or you might see that your mom was stuck in an abusive relationship, which is horrible. But then you make a vow to yourself and you say, I will never, ever let any man, good, bad, or otherwise, have any control or any influence over me whatsoever. Now, now the problem with defining your life based on what you don't want to be is that we tend as human beings to overcompensate. And so in an effort to avoid one ditch, we end up driving into the other ditch. So can you see any of this? If if you're able to take a good, honest look at your family and your your history and your lineage, can you see any of this? Can you see any repeated patterns? I know this is tough to do. Or can you see a tendency in you or others to just go in the opposite direction and rebel? I think if you take an honest look, you'll see a little bit of that in your family. You'll see a little bit of that in yourself. Which one do you lean toward, repeating or rebelling? Now, this, this is actually where the promises of Jesus and the good news of who Jesus is comes into play. Because the promise of Jesus is this, for those of us who have family baggage, the promise of Jesus is that though you have baggage, your baggage doesn't have you. Another way to say that is Jesus Christ has set you free. He has set you free from the bondage of your baggage. He has set you free from it. It doesn't have to own you. It doesn't have to drive you. It doesn't have to be the thing that shapes your instincts and your impulses in your relationships today. Jesus Christ has set you free. You see, when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, he died under the weight of not only being punished for the sins of the world, but he died under the weight of all the dysfunction of the world, including all the dysfunction, whatever there was, in your family. He died under the weight of drunken dads, under the weight of emotionally distant, cold and withholding moms. He died under the weight of narcissistic siblings who took all the attention out of the family. He died under the weight of the trauma of being evicted from your home at the age of eight. He died under the weight of of having to change school after school after school after school and feeling like because of your parents' choices, you never had a place and you never had people and you never felt safe and you never felt at home. He died under the weight of all of that garbage, all of that stuff. But then three days later, he rose from the dead and he proved that he is stronger than all the baggage that you've experienced and you bring into your life today as an adult. He's stronger than all of it. He defeated it. And then at some point in your life, this man who defeated all the dysfunction of this world, he claimed you. He stirred faith in you. He brought you to the waters of baptism, and he officially birthed you in baptism. He, he birthed you into a brand new family. Don't you know that you who have believe and are baptized, you have a brand new family, You're not just a member of this earthly thing, but you are a member of this greater heavenly thing. And you're a part of this heavenly family through Jesus Christ that brings no baggage, just blessing. 
And the blessing that it gives is the victory that Jesus has earned over all the stuff that weighs you down and sits on your shoulder and darkens your soul as you think about the stuff that you've been through. He's defeated all of that. And what he says to you is you don't have to be driven by that. You don't have to be owned by that. You don't have to be defined by that or shaped by that. You have that. But it doesn't have to have you. You are free to make different choices. So now the question becomes this. What kind of different choices do people unburdened from their baggage in Jesus Christ who, who want to make uh, a healthy and thriving life, who want to build a vibrant, biblical, beautiful family, like what are the choices that they make? Rather than just responding to their baggage, what do they do now? Well, here's what they do. This is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is trying to help people of faith, unburdened by their baggage, discern what it means to build a healthy family in light of Jesus Christ, in light of who he is and what he's done. So, so, so look again at what Paul says. Let me just highlight a couple of these things, all right? So Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. I'm just going to jump around and highlight a couple of things. Paul says this, and we're going to use a different translation than we read a moment ago. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. Some people understandably recoil at the words that Paul uses when Paul says submit, when he says sanctify, and when he says obey. And I would encourage you to understand that perhaps some of what makes you recoil at Paul saying that we need to submit or that husbands help sanctify their wives or that children should obey, that part of the reason we recoil at that has less to do with what the scripture is actually saying and more to do with some of the baggage that we carry. And I want to make it clear, as Paul paints a picture of a healthy home where people are unburdened by their baggage, the choices they make to build something healthy, Paul is not saying that wives are the only ones who need to submit, no more than he's saying that husbands are the only ones who need to love. Indeed, all of the imperatives of this section of Scripture apply to everyone in the home. The verse just before this talks about husbands and wives mutually submitting to one another. Paul speaks with particularity to wives and husbands and children because, because, in general, given the baggage that we each bring, typically, into the families that we make, and given the way our sin tends to manifest itself in our lives, Paul says, in general, typically, wives are, need to be encouraged to trust the leadership and the love of their husbands. And the word he uses for that is submission. He's saying, in light of the baggage we tend to bring to the families we make and the way sin manifests itself in us, he says, in general, husbands need to be encouraged to live sacrificially for the well-being of their wives. And he calls that sanctifying them. 
And he says, given the baggage that we bring and the way sin manifests itself typically in our lives, children need to be encouraged to honor their mother and their father. And the word he uses for that is obey. Paul is saying, look, a home that is built in light of Jesus, free from the baggage that we bring to it, is built upon three things. It's built upon spouses trusting each other. It's built upon spouses sacrificing for each other. And it's built upon everyone honoring and respecting one another. There is a three-legged stool upon which health sits. It is trust, and it is sacrifice, and it is honor. Now, as I say those things, you think about trusting the, the love and leadership impulses of your husband or sacrificing yourself the way Jesus sacrifices himself for the church for your spouse or trying to get your kids to be children of honor and obedience and respect. You instantly, you instantly are aware, as I am, of how hard this can be. Ladies, I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say, given my own experience and, and, and what I know and the conversations I've had with so many of you, I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that, that you want, you want your husband to be, you want your husband to be an active and engaged, passionate leadership presence in your home. You want that. And yet, typically, you are perhaps more attuned to what the needs are of every particular person in that home or what the, the pitfalls are and the problems are that you're trying to get everybody to avoid in that home. And perhaps maybe even you carry some baggage from your past about your needs not being met or being overlooked or taken advantage of. And so when it comes time for something to be done and it comes time to just trust the heart and impulses of your husband on something, there can be at times something in you that says, uh, yeah, but let me do it. Let me do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to let me do it. I'm just going to do it. At times that can happen. And gentlemen, you, you know, as well as I do, that even though you love your family more than absolutely anything, it is so easy for you and for me to get tunnel vision. We get tunnel vision about work, or we get tunnel vision about hunting during October and November. We get tunnel vision about Madden 23, which dropped just a couple of days ago because football season's already here. We get tunnel vision about something and perhaps that's tied to the fact that maybe when we were younger, we feel like we didn't get to have the fun that we thought we needed to have. Or we didn't have the means to, to indulge ourselves at all. Or maybe we felt like we grew up too fast and we lost some of our childhood. And so we feel entitled to just indulge ourselves a little bit. And it's easy for us to slip into that thing and be more self-preserving than self-sacrificing for our spouse and others. It is really easy to go there. Or if you've got kids, you know the tension between wanting to be a, like a flexible and understanding and empowering parent, but then letting your children run the world and feeling like your, li your life is driven by them more than you are ever molding or shaping them. And you want them to, to be children of honor who, who obey and respect and all those good biblical things. You want them to do that, but you also, you have some baggage of being under the thumb of maybe an overbearing or difficult parent and you, you're really hesitant to try and, you want to avoid putting that on your little people. And so you feel stuck and this is hard. So instantly we see, as we, as we get this picture, this ideal, we know how hard this is given our own baggage. It's really, really hard. But again, I come back to the promise of Jesus. Jesus has freed you from the burden of that baggage. You have it, but it doesn't have you. You are free to make a different choice. And take note of the fact that in Ephesians 5, every command that Paul gives 
about submit to this or sacrifice for that or obey this, he adds a little addendum onto it. He says, in the Lord or like Christ or as you would the Lord. And the reason he says that is because he's trying to help you remember that all of this is not happening merely in the context of the home you grew up in and the baggage you bring. He's saying, remember, you're part of a new family. Remember that you're free in Christ to break the mold, to make a different choice. You are free because of Christ to build your adult life, among other things, around healthy things like trust, deep trust in the heart of the person that you're sharing this life with, and sacrifice, self-giving sacrifice for the betterment of this person that you're connected to and honor, obedience, and respect. You're free to build your life on these things. Reflect again for just a moment. Is there anything in your life that you bring from the past into the present that is making it hard in the adult life that you are building to trust someone that you're supposed to trust? That's making it hard for you to sacrifice for someone for whom you're supposed to sacrifice are hard, hard for you to nurture obedience and respect and people that you're supposed to nurture obedience and respect from, something from your past that's getting in the way of you doing that in the present. Is there anything at all? And if there is, what you're invited to do is just confess that and recognize that that is forgiven and you're free from its power and its impulse over you and you are freed to make a different choice. To not be bound by or directed by the baggage, but to view everything in light of who Jesus is and choose health. I don't remember what I was angry about, but what I do remember is the look on Lisa's face and Ava's little face. Lisa and I had only been married about four years and Ava was still very much a toddler at this stage. And we were living in our two-bedroom apartment out in Katy, Texas. And I got annoyed by something, something. I probably wasn't even mad, I was just annoyed. And, and in my annoyance, I got loud. And when I got loud, I saw the eyes of my wife and the tiny eyes of my toddler get wide and I saw a couple of lips start to quiver and I saw my wife pick up my child and walk to the other room. Now, I grew up in a great house. I have wonderful parents. I had a dad who, who didn't get mad very much, but when he did get mad, he got loud and he got very scary. And I remember being a kid and saying, I don't ever want to scare my kids. I don't ever, ever, ever want to scare my kids. And all I know is in that moment, when I got loud, when I got annoyed, and my wife picked up my daughter and walked to another room, something hit me. I said, despite what I grew up with, I am more my father's son than I care to be in this moment. And so I, I called a friend of mine, a little older than me, his kids were older, a man of faith, great wisdom, he and I are still good friends to this day. I called him and I told him what happened and how it shook me. I didn't want to frighten my kid. I didn't want to frighten my kid. I didn't want to frighten my wife. And I, I just got mad. I'm like, it's not okay to get mad. <laughs> and what my friend said to me was this. He said, Matt, as you know, your primary job as a husband and a father, one of your primary jobs is to protect your family. And I said, yeah, I know that. And then he said this, he said, 
the first person you protect them from is you. And like any other human being, you have hurts and you have pains and you have bad habits and you have dysfunctional instincts and impulses and your job as a husband, your job as a dad is to know what those things are and to make a different choice. And in so many ways, that's what we're talking about today. You are free in Christ to recognize your baggage and then respond to it in light of who Jesus is and say, I'm not going to be driven by it. I'm going to make a better choice. I am free in Christ to do that. I am free to build my life on things like trust, sacrifice, and honor rather than whatever it is I inherited from my well-intentioned relatives. But it all starts here. You got to know where and what your baggage is. Amen.